Well, we are continuing our journey um, called Credo, which in Latin means I believe, but we're calling it We Believe. These are based on the, the tenets of our denomination, which is Foursquare, and um, also what we believe as a church. And so this morning I have a topic that's, that is massive. Um, it's on the second coming of Christ. And there are 1,845 biblical references to the second coming of Christ. Did you know that? Anybody know that? Any Wikipedias walking around? 1,845 references. And can I be honest with you? I don't know that I have ever heard a message on it. That, to me, that is scary. I'm, I'm saying now I have, because I've been studying. But I mean, throughout my years, I don't remember other than my husband, Eric, he did preach on the second coming of Christ. But it is not something that people want to tackle. Am I right? It's, it's too much. But I think if the Bible talks about anything 1,845 times, we should talk about it. In the Old Testament, it's in 17 of the chapters. It's in 23 out of 27 in the New Testament. The references to the second coming compared to the first coming are eight to one. And I mean, we don't have a problem talking about the first coming of Christ, do we? Christmas, Jesus born in a manger, we talk about that all the time, but I think we're intimidated by this topic. Is anybody else intimidated by this topic? It's just so it's just so enormous. So today, um, I'm going to go through each one of the biblical references, and I'm going to fully exp- I'm not really. <laughs> we'll be here till Jesus comes back if I do that. I'm going to just give you a, a really cursory just overview, um, and I'm going to tell you 10 proofs of why Jesus is coming back. 10 proofs for the return of Jesus Christ. And I want to just say, I'm, I'm completely biased on this topic. I'm, I'm really pro Jesus coming back. <laughs> Anybody else? I would say over the last year, I think I have prayed the prayer, come quickly, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. I prayed that more than any other prayer, I think, because I just believe that his, his return is going to be soon. And I know everybody's always thought that, but eventually somebody's going to be correct on that. (laughs) So hopefully it's us. Um, You know, the first time when Jesus came, the Jews really rejected him. They rejected him as their Messiah because of particular prophecies that were given in the Old Testament. So for those of you who don't know, there's two testaments or two sections of the Bible. There's the Old Testament and then there's the New Testament. I heard somebody say one time, why don't they call it the Older Testament and then the Old Testament? Because it's even the New Testament is pretty old. But we're talking about something that had prophesied the coming of Christ. And, and when the Old Testament prophesied the coming of Christ, it was he was going to come as a conquering king. He was going to come as a victorious uh, powerful, amazing king. 
Well, so when Jesus comes as what they, what they call the suffering servant, or this little tiny helpless little baby, the Jews did not believe that that could possibly be Messiah because they had preconceived ideas about how Jesus should come back. And so there's tons and tons and tons and tons of prophecies in the Old Testament. I'm not going to try to cover much of that other than to just say like in Daniel, it's chapter 2, chapter 7, chapter 9, chapter 12. You can find so much there could, you could actually do an entire series on this, a long series on the second coming of Christ. But I'm just going to give this one passage for the Old Testament prophecies, and this is the, pr- the first proof that Jesus is coming back. It says in Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 14, this is what it says when Jesus comes back, Zechariah 14.4, it says... On that day, okay, we need to stop right there. The return of Jesus is referred to often as that day. It's that day. You ever have one of those days? Well, this is that day. This is going to be a glorious day. We even sing a song called Glorious Day. But when he comes, it says, on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is just right outside of Jerusalem. It says, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And then if you go down to verse five, later on in the verse, it says, then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Now let's just camp on this for a minute. We are not holy because of our own righteousness. Can we agree? We can never be holy enough in our own strength. We can only be holy and viewed as holy because of, because of the sacrifice of, that Christ gave on the cross when he gave his life for our sins. And that's why we can be called holy. And it's saying that when Jesus comes back, his feet are gonna touch the Mount of Olives and he's going to come and return with the holy ones with him. The New Testament prophecies. This is kind of we're going to we're going to hit a lot of scripture today. So, um, if you have your Bible, we're going to we're going to start that thing on fire. Um, Revelation nineteen. Revelation nineteen eleven. This is a, a pretty big chunk of scripture here, but it says. Then, this is John, okay, John was on the island of Patmos, and he had this prophetic vision. Do not be afraid of revelation. You know, it says that if you read the book of Revelation, you'll be blessed. Don't assume that you're going to understand everything, because it's a pretty intense book, but don't avoid it. You know, I think a lot of people avoid it, because it is intimidating, but just read it. I read it like an epic movie. I like, try to visualize what they're talking about, or what John is talking about. It says, then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and with justice he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen and a sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. 
And he has a name written on that robe and on his thigh. King of kings and Lord of lords. Uh, I just hear a snare drum in the background and mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Anyway, ah, that passage just envision this. For those of you who are visual, right? Is this not intense? And it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, it says, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God. And check this out. The dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. What does it mean, the dead in Christ? Some of you are like, yeah, that's like, like my last church. <laughs> no, I, I didn't mean that. Um, the dead in Christ means people who believed in Jesus who have died. And now, I don't know if this is true or not, but what I believe is that when we die, we go into timelessness, okay? I think we go into what's called eternity because it says here that the dead in Christ will rise first and then those who are left will meet him in the air and it's saying, encourage one another with this. I, I wanna just tell you kind of what's going on in my life right now um, and I'll just tell you, Right up front, I'm, I'm probably in denial, so I'm just maybe a little bit numb. Um, but my father passed away yesterday, and um, there he is. And, you know, I went down there last month with my daughter, Rebecca, and um, as, we, as we were landing, I just had this strong sense that this was going to be the last time I was going to see him alive. Now, my dad, he was an amazing, amazing human being. He was a powerful man. He was strong. He was intelligent. He was dignified. He was respected. He was the principal of the high school, the athletic director. He was the mayor of his community. He was the president of the State Principals Association in Minnesota. I mean, the guy was like, he was a powerhouse. He was a <clears throat> state champion athlete, um, but he developed dementia, which is a horrible, unforgiving disease. And we started to notice it. I, I think, I don't know what the time frame was. I think it was about seven years ago. And um, so, you know, for those of you who are familiar with dementia, you start to grieve and you, it's kind of a long, long, long process of grieving because the person kind of starts just kind of disappearing, the person as you knew them. And um, and I asked the Lord when, when I landed, I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, I, I want to know that my dad's ready to meet you. I want to know for sure. And so um, 
one day, because of all the pandemic restrictions and everything, that were, we were very limited in our access to him. But we got to go in. We got to go in twice in four days or five days. And the first time we went in, he was, he was not, um, he was pretty out of it. But my mom had set up this, uh, it was really cool. It was this hospice pastor, a chaplain, who came in and he did like this military honoring kind of a ceremony. It was really beautiful. And, um, and this guy, I know this pastor, he was a real deal. I know that he was a believer. I know that he knew Jesus. And at one point he looked at my dad, and my dad, like I mentioned before, he, he was not real lucid that day. And this pastor looked at him, he goes, is there anything I can do for you? And my dad, in, in a moment of lucidity, he looked up and he said, just breathe the word. I had never heard my dad talk like that. And then I talked to my mom on Friday night, and she was telling me that, um, she goes, yeah, because I asked her, I said, Are you, have you given him permission to let go? Have you given, her, given him permission? Not like we're, we're not the ones who determine how long life lasts. By the way, the Bible says it is appointed once for a man to die, and after that comes a judgment. The Lord knows the number of our days. He's the one who's, who gives and takes away. He is, blessed be his name, Right? But um, I just lost my train of thought, just derailed. Um, I'm sorry? Yes, permission, thank you. Um, my prompter. Line? <laughs> um, but I asked my mom if she had given him permission, and she said that she, she told him, you know, it's okay if you're tired. You can let go. And she said that he, he, had, he was bedridden at the end, um, and... She said every time she would go in there, he would, he would like reach out. And she said he would, just, he would just look up. She said it was like he wasn't even really looking at her. And I just felt so much comfort in the fact that, you know, his, his focus isn't, isn't on this life anymore. That his focus was heavenward. And, sick, and the part where the dead in Christ will rise first. I mean, this is the hope. We do not grieve as those who have no hope. You know, we don't because we have eternity to look forward to, right? And this is the hope. And it says, encourage one another with these words. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is absolutely coming back. And we want to be about his business. It says in Revelation 1, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who have pierced him. Okay, now think about this. Every eye will see him. How in the world could this ever happen other than through technology, right? Don't you think? I mean, I think that the Lord is is preparing to come back, and I think it's going to be like some... Have you ever seen it like in Times Square, they have those massive screens? You know, maybe it's going to be like that. But it says that every eye will see him. And it says, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. Another reason, another proof for the return of Jesus is that even his own disciples talked about it. The disciples talked about it in Matthew 24, 3. They came to him and they're like, 
tell us, when are these things going to happen? When is the end of the age going to happen? What is the sign of your coming and the sign of the end of the age? And Jesus replied, watch out. This is how Jesus answers. You ever notice how Jesus rarely answers a question directly? You know, people ask him stuff and he's like, watch out that no one deceives you. He was saying, it's going to be really easy to be deceived. These were his closest. This was like his inner circle. And he had to tell them, watch out that no one deceives you for many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah and they will deceive many. And you are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see that you are not alarmed because these things must take place. But the end is not yet. So he's saying, this is the setup. This is the precursor to my return. Then Paul the apostle, who used to be Saul of Tarsus, and then he had a radical transformation, became Paul, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. This is what he says, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled, either by a prophecy or by a message or by a letter, supposedly from us, alleging that the day of the Lord has already come. So there's people that will, you know, there's people that believe, let me tell you, I did a lot of research on this. There are some really wacky theories going on out there. Watch out that you're not deceived. Know what this book says. You know what they say, I I know this is a this is an overused analogy, but they say that bank tellers study the original bill. They don't study counterfeits. They study the original so that when they see a counterfeit, they can go, that's not real. And it's the same thing with the word of God. If we really read it and understand and know it, get into Bible studies, get into a community group, you know, watch and, and I mean, I'm a little scared to say just, watch messages online because there's some there's some really really bad teaching out there and when I say bad I don't mean like they're bad teachers I'm saying they're teaching bad things they're teaching things that that are counterfeit that are contrary to this so kind of vet the people that you let speak into your life but I'm saying if you know the word of God you'll recognize it when false teaching is brought you'll recognize and I and I want to say this too doesn't matter what I say, if it goes against this, please call me on it. If, you're, if you feel like anything that I say is contrary to what God's word says, please make a case. Because I don't want to, I fear God too much to, you know, say things that are not honoring to him. So just want to open you up to that, but be nice to me. So um, <clears throat> it says, Jesus replied, watch out, no one deceives you. Watch out that no one deceives you. Paul the Apostle says in 2 Thessalonians, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and being gathered, he says, don't be upset. You don't need to be freaked out by this. He's saying this is a really good and and an exciting thing. It says, but the the day of the Lord has not yet come. Okay? So Jesus has not come back yet. He's still going to come back. Because he even said in John chapter 14 
This is such a powerful verse. This is John chapter 14. This is actually, I don't know, it says, it's verse one. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? Now, this is significant. Remember this. He's saying, I am going to prepare a place for you, okay? It says, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. For nation, this is Matthew um, chapter four, four, uh, 24, verse 7. Matthew 24, you can just kind of keep your fingers stuck in there because we're going to stay there. But it says, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginning of labor pains. You know, uh, ladies, when you, for those of you who've had babies, you know, you you, kind of hope, like at the end of your pregnancy, every little pain you have is, you're like, was that it? Wait, was that it? And I feel like that's kind of like the, the church today, we're like, is this it? Trust me, when labor hits, you will know it. <laughs> when real labor and when Jesus comes back, we're not going to have to sit and wonder. We are going to know. It says, this part is not, this is, this is not the part that keeps people coming back to church, but it says in verse 9, it says, then they will hand you over to be persecuted and they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Jesus is just telling it like it is. He doesn't candy coat things. He's saying this is what's going to happen. This is so tragic to me, but I'm seeing this happening. Are you not seeing this happening? It's saying many will fall away. Many will fall away. Many will betray one another. Many will hate one another. These are the beginning of birth pangs. These are not Braxton Hicks. These are the beginning of birth pangs. It says many will fall away. And my prayer is for us that we will not fall away. Go back again to Zechariah 14, verse 2. It says, I, Zechariah 14, Verse 2, I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem. I could go on about this for a really long time, about Israel. I mean, people always joke about tension in the Middle East, but you ever notice, I I would love to just take take a tangent and talk about Israel. But we are called as believers to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I mean, Israel, they're God's chosen people. And even though the Jews denied Jesus at his first coming, they will not deny him at the second. It's saying, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem. We're seeing that happen, aren't we? Anybody else seeing what's happening? In the newspapers, it's not, not just reading in the Bible. This is, this is what we're seeing. And, it's, and many do not believe. This is the other proof. It says in 2 Peter 3, 
2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires, saying, where's his coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. This is, this is an evidence. There are scoffers now. They're like, come on. What do you believe? You believe this fairy tale? You know, right? I mean, Christianity, it's, it's okay, like on... In any movie, anytime, almost any time they portray a Christian, it's in a mocking way, or the Christian is somehow a hypocrite, or they're deceitful, or they're a pedophile, or something, right? In movies, Christians, it, it's, it's almost like it's, you can't discriminate against anybody except for those who believe in Jesus. And there is a reason for this, because scoffers will come in the last days, following their own evil desires, saying, where is this coming? Where is this coming? He promised. The thing is, the time is unknown. You know, I mean, sometimes like even as little kids when we're anticipating Christmas or we're looking forward to our birthday, it almost feels like it's never going to happen. It seems like it's so far away, but I just believe knowing the signs of the end of the age and the beginning of birth pangs, that this is, this is going to happen soon. And Jesus doesn't tell us the exact day because it says in Mark 13, 32, it says concerning that day, there it is again, that day, or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Watch, be alert, and pray, for you don't know when the time is coming. I want you to, to think about this too. Only the Father knows. Um, several of us have watched a movie, I don't know if you've heard of it, called Before the Wrath. Has anybody seen that? It's amazing. It's amazing. And it talks about Galilean weddings, which is, which is where Jesus resided. And it talks about how significant these weddings were. And... So the typical, like, you know, we think about weddings the way that we understand weddings. You know, you get an invitation, and then you save the date on your calendar, and then right before the wedding, you try to figure out, what should I wear, you know? <laughs> and then you show up at the wedding, and you sit through the wedding, and then you maybe go to a reception that's maybe an hour or two, three if it's really hopping, and they have a DJ or a dance floor. You know, that's what we think of weddings, but that is not what the Galilean weddings were like. What would happen is a, a man would find the woman that he was to marry. He, they, would, they would be in a season of betrothal, like they were, it was like they were engaged, except they were kind of legally married, but they didn't have the, the benefits of being married, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Said I wasn't going to talk about sex in this sermon. But, um, but so, so they would never know, the bride would not know. She would have to be ready every single day. She would always have to be prepared. And even the guests of the wedding would have to be ready. They would have to have their wedding clothes on so that when the father told the groom to go get his bride, the groom would go get the bride. It didn't, they didn't know when. They didn't know what time of the day or night, but you just had to be ready. 
Isn't this such a beautiful picture of Jesus coming back for his bride, for the church? But it says, only the Father knows. Only the Father knows the time. So when the father of the groom tells him, you can go get your bride. That's when the festivities began. And people would have to have on like specific like wedding clothes. And, it's, and it says, we don't know when this is going to happen. It's like, we've all been invited to the wedding, but we don't know when it's going to happen. But here's the, here's the point of all of this. The last point, number 10, we are called to be ready we are called to be ready. Luke 12, 35. Be ready for service and have your lamps lit. So much symbol, symbolism in this. There's so much symbolism. You are to be like the people waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks... We are supposed to anticipate his coming back. We're supposed to be looking forward to it. It says, blessed will those servants the master finds alert when he comes. Blessed will be those servants. Truly, I tell you, he will get ready. He will have them recline at the table, then come and serve them and finds them alert. But know this. Know this. Anytime Jesus says, know this, you should really pay attention. If the homeowner had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So Jesus doesn't give us the specific time, but he does say that we can read the signs of the end of the age. It's, he says, you can even read the signs of the weather. I mean, you know, you look where there's, when there's a storm coming in. Yesterday we were standing in Cottonwood Heights, just kind of right in a house that's set up against the, the foothills. And we're just standing there talking, and all of a sudden, we felt this whoosh, and we looked up and there was like these clouds hanging over the mountains. And in the same way, Jesus says, we can read the weather. We don't know exact, the exact moment that the storm's going to hit, but we can see there's a storm coming in. And in the same way, we don't know exactly the moment, the time. Jesus tells us that. No one knows except who's in heaven. But be ready because we don't know when it's going to happen. And we want to be doing what he's called us to do. We want to be serving him when he comes back. We don't want to be, be doing something that's going to make us ashamed. 1 John 2, 28 says, So now, little children, I want you to hear this. Remain in him. Remain in him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. 
the whole point of this is Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? Are you ready? That's the whole point. It's, he's saying, be about my business. Be doing the things that, that I've asked you to do, but be ready. Don't wait. Don't put it off. And this is not, not a guilt or shame or whatever. I'm just asking a simple question. If he were to come back today, are you ready? And if you're not ready, what do you need to do to get ready? Do you need to accept Christ? Do you need to have somebody pray over you? Do you you need to be set free from some besetting sin? Do you need to confess something that's hidden in the dark? Because we're all going to stand, we're going to see him face to face. We're going to see him when he comes back face to face and it's saying, Remain in him so that when he appears, you can have confidence. Do you have confidence that if he were to come in right now, right now, you'd be ready? Because he's coming back. The Bible says 1,845 times he is coming back. So let's be ready. Amen? Okay, can we stand? Let's pray together. Jesus, we are so, Lord, we are so grateful, God, that you have prepared us, Lord, that you have spoken to us, Lord, that you have shown us the way. Jesus, you are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. Lord, I thank you so much, God, that you, even though we don't know the exact moment, Lord, we can recognize the signs of the weather, the signs of the sky, the signs of a storm coming in. But Lord, I thank you, God, that you are going to come back in the clouds, Lord, and every eye will see you. Lord, in the twinkling of an eye, we are going to be changed. Oh, God, we yearn for your return. We yearn for you to come back. Come back. Lord Jesus, come quickly, Lord. And Father, I just pray for every person in here within the the hearing of my voice, whether it's online or whether they're in this room right now. Father, I just ask, Lord, that you would speak by the power of your Holy Spirit. Get them ready, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that anybody who is dreading your coming would do whatever it takes to find you. Lord, to have peace with you. Lord, right now we just come before you. Lord, we just confess um, our impatience. Lord, we confess our, maybe our lack of faith. Lord, I, I just ask God that you would increase our faith, that we can anticipate your return. And we love you, Lord. And we thank you in Jesus' name. If you're someone either online or watching this later or you're here today and you've never committed your heart to Christ, you've never received the forgiveness that Jesus offered on the cross, please come and talk to me after the service or talk to someone that came with you or you can talk to some of our leaders in the back. But get ready. Be ready so that you can have confidence on the day of his return. Amen? Amen? Can we just applaud the Lord for his goodness? Thank you, Lord.
Love you, Lord. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Please keep my family and I in your prayers. I love you guys so much. See you all next week. Love you.